we are in a current season or series of one body, many parts. So the church isn't just about Dillis and I or one leader. It's about a group of people, of leaders, of you and me together in a community of one body, many parts. And over this series, those who lead ministries uh, with a, a particular practical output on a Sunday uh, and also during the week are speaking. Now, Gordon and Ingrid are also part of that team and not speaking, and they're very valued members of the team. But um, these are the ones that are the most important. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. <laughs> These are, these, th yes. So um, I'd love to pray for Joe, mm. and uh, he leads the youth ministry, and he's mm. going to be speaking today about his heart and his passion mm. and what one body, many parts means for him and for our youth in the kingdom. So can I just pray for you? Come into the center here. So join me as we pray for Joe. Father God, we thank you so much for Joe. We thank you, God, for who he is in you. We thank you for the freedom that he has in this place with his family to speak about the call in his life, the identity that he has in you, the love he has for the youth and for your kingdom. So give him a sense of an even deeper passion as he communicates and as we listen about his expression of one body, many parts, and the Holy Trinity and beyond in the power of the Spirit, we pray for him. And in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go for it, buddy. Thanks, man. First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, verse twelve to uh, verse fifteen to verse twenty. Now, if the foot should say, "Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body," it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, uh, where would the sense of smell be? But, in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and one uh, body. Hey guys, I need to run around, so I'm going to put that there. Uh, I'm wearing a Britney mic right now, uh, a head mic, and I feel like a member of NSYNC, uh, which has always been one of my dreams fulfilled now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, as Rob said, I'm the youth pastor here. I've been in the role for the last two, two years, I think, coming on. Uh, but I've actually been in the church earlier than that. I was a part of the church I joined around three years ago, actually through the last ministry that the last youth pastor before me, D. Kelly, uh, ran. I was invited along by Ben Broderick. I still remember a pizza night in the side room there. Uh, and I became a part of that youth before I actually was coming on Sundays. Um, and that youth was so strange. There's three youth and 20 leaders, and no one really knew what was going on. Uh, we just ate hummus most of the time. I, I'm not sure what it actually gave me spiritually, uh, but what it definitely did was it, it, it actually was through this youth that uh, I joined this church. It was through the youth and those Monday nights that I came into this community and realized that I actually uh, belonged here. It was through these Monday nights that uh, I uh, found this family and actually felt like I can be a part of this. Um, and you can imagine the honor that I felt uh, being asked to actually uh, work with the youth myself and join in on that and actually get to give back. Uh, it, was, it was such a privilege. Um, and the last two years have been ridiculous. 
uh, the highest of highs and some of the lowest of lows. It's been such a roller coaster working with these guys, but it's been something that I'll never forget already. It's, oh, I love it so much. Um, but yeah, Rob came to me and, and Rob had this idea for the teaching series where different people would get to do talks and uh, the questions were, what is your passion? What does it mean for you to be a part of the body? And straight away I had this uh, story in the Bible that actually my mentor, Paul Keegan, taught me uh, earlier in the year that so quickly became really personal to me. It was a huge thing for my own growth and then so quickly became something that uh, was at the root of um, why I'm doing youth. It always came back to this, this idea, uh, and I'd love to actually share it with you guys. So uh, before I get going, I'd love to pray because I'm real nervous. <laughs> uh, dear Lord, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity. Uh, Lord, may your word, be it through uh, scripture or my mouth, be uh, alive, and may it be exciting for someone who's heard it a thousand times or never before. Amen. In uh, the book of Genesis, uh, you can read about a man called Jacob. Uh, this guy lived thousands of years ago, um, a long, long time ago, but uh, there's this interesting part of Jacob's story where he's running away. He's on the run, he's got uh, thousands of people chasing him, and it says that he's scared, he's tired, he's frustrated. Uh, you can see the exhaustion uh, in this story. Uh, so it says that he leaves behind his possessions and servants, he leaves behind his wealth, uh, and he goes slightly further away, and then actually leaves behind his family and his friends, and by himself he goes to a river and meets a man who we later find out is God, uh, and they wrestle. Uh, the whole God being a man thing is kind of confusing, because it's a pretty core part of the New Testament. Seems like he's jumping the gun a little bit, but... Uh, there's this oddity to it, where it seems like Jacob has went to this river by himself and is wrestling with God himself. And once again, wrestling, we don't really know what that means. Uh, it could be an actual physical fight. Maybe it's uh, something metaphorical, an emotional back and forth. Nothing is explained. It just says that Jacob goes to this river by himself and wrestles with uh, God. They wrestle all night, they go on and on, and it says that through the night the sun is starting to rise and they're still wrestling, and uh, uh, God is frustrated. It says that the man says, why won't you let me go? We've been at this for hours, let me go. And, and God, or Jacob, in his, in his frustration, in his fear, in his exhaustion, uh, says, I won't let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to stop wrestling you until you give me what I want. We don't know what blessing means, but you can see he's, he's determined. Uh, but this is the question that has uh, touched me in such a special way. Uh, God's response, uh, he asks Jacob, what is your name? I think this question was uh, actually pretty layered. Because um, zooming back in Jacob's story, the first thing we hear about him is he actually has a brother. He was uh, the son of Isaac and his wife, Rebekah. Uh, and uh, he was a twin uh, alongside a guy called Esau. But right in those first few verses that we hear about Jacob, um, Esau and Jacob had this slight difference. It says that Esau grew up to be a hunter. He was a man of the country. He went out and uh, 
hunted for food. And it said in particular that his dad, Isaac, had a love for, uh, for Esau. But then it flips to Jacob and seems a little biased because it says that Jacob was content staying at home um, uh, while Esau was out hunting and providing the food. Uh, Jacob seemed to just stay at home. But it does say that Rebecca, the mom, had a love for Jacob. Uh, you can see this difference and this tension between the twins. Uh, but very quickly we hear that it doesn't seem that Jacob is okay with this tension. Uh, very early on, Esau comes home, has some food, he's hungry and he wants it cooked, and Jacob says, I'll cook you dinner, but if you give me your inheritance, if you give me what you uh, will get as the older twin. Uh, so Esau is already put in this place, accepts it for whatever reason, must have been super hungry. Um, and Jacob has just stolen Esau's uh, inheritance. Then later on in a ridiculous story of mis uh, mischievousness, that's not a word, uh, in trickery and in lies, uh, Jacob actually goes on uh, and continues to steal from Esau, uh, steals Esau's blessing even uh, pretends to be Esau. He dresses up like him, covers himself in hair, and another strange story. It's Genesis. Genesis is the oddest book. Uh, but in this odd story, dresses up like Esau, goes to his father Isaac, and lies and pretends to be Esau, uh, and steals his blessing. Esau had these two things that Jacob didn't. A blessing and an inheritance from his dad that Jacob clearly wanted and, and did anything to get. It, the story continues to spiral out of control. It says that Jacob runs away to a foreign country. He works for this man, but ends up stealing from the man, running away with his daughters and his wealth. Uh, and this story is just a snowball out of control. It seems that Jacob is just lying and tricking and hurting people over and over and over. And this is actually where we find him being chased. Uh, this is where we find him at the river, leaving everything behind and going to God. But with Jacob, there's this feeling that I actually really connected with. Jacob, uh, that idea that Esau had something he didn't have, and Jacob believed that he had to have it, uh, and would do anything to have it, and is such a real feeling. Jacob was going out of control to do anything because he thought that him staying at home wasn't right, it's not what he should be, and saw in his brother something that he thought he should have and would do anything to get it. Before I was a Christian, before I started coming to youth, even church before this, uh, especially in my early teenage years, um, I felt that same pressure. It wasn't uh, my family. My brother's actually in the congregation. This would be an awkward way to say, hey, I resent you. But uh, <laughs> 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 uh, for me, it wasn't from my family. But growing up, especially as I came into te in my teenage years, I felt that same pressure that there was something I didn't have that I needed to somehow get a hold of. I don't know if it was maybe something in the family, something in school, something in the teams, my friends, the people I was around. There's something that I suddenly re thought I didn't have. I had something. I knew I was a person. I knew that there was good parts about me, but that's not what I was supposed to be. That's not what me as a man should become. And then I would look around, and I would see these people and these personalities, and they would have these things. And I'd be in the corner looking at it, admiring it, but wondering, how do I get that? And then, just like Jacob, I started stealing, lying, 
I would do anything, manipulating people, it wasn't that dramatic, but it would, I would do anything to try get these things that I thought I needed. Just like Jacob in that frustration where he's just coming to the river and he's scared and angry, this desire to have something I don't have, it, it hurts. There, there's, when you get caught in this spiral of seeing things that you think you need, uh, all it does is just leads to this fear and hatred. I would look at what I had and just grow to desire, think that it wasn't enough. I would look at who I was and, and just shrug and be like, it's nothing. And I would toss it aside and just continue to chase after this, this man that I thought I should be. Can you imagine the, the self-confidence issues, the anxiety, the fear? But then the biggest part that hit me was the loneliness. Because I would be in the middle of everyone and I would, I would be seeing myself and being like, this isn't enough, I'm not happy with this. And then I would look around and everyone else was nailing it. Everyone else had the things that I thought I should have. So I push them away, I retreat back, and I, I stay in my own space. I stay in my own little spiral of, of hatred and anger and loneliness and fear and anxiety, and I'd push everyone away. And you can see Jacob doing that in the story. He's pushing away, pushing away, running, running. He takes and leaves, takes and leaves. That's because you just get caught up in this thought that everyone else is doing it right, so something's wrong with me. And you pull back. Going into youth, you see it everywhere, unfortunately. Even as I grow up, I look at these, these youth growing up, and you see the same pressure on them. You see them living in these communities where these communities create these molds and say, fit into this, act like this, do that, be this man, be this woman, like these things, follow that. And they, they create these molds and say, if you don't fit into that, you don't fit in. They say, if you don't fit into that, you don't belong here. And then the youth just go into this spiral and spiral and spiral. And to be honest, it's not just in youth. You see it everywhere. You see that pressure just pushing everyone in. And it just creates this hatred and this loneliness and this anxiety. It seems out of control. This question of what is your name uh, was so powerful when Paul talked to me about it. And to be honest, it needed plenty of conversations after that just for what it brought up because when, when God asks that question he sees so much more because he goes to Jacob and says I'm not asking for, for Esau I'm not asking for your master I'm not asking for your dad I'm asking for you what is your name? who are you? what is your identity? When God meets Jacob in that frustration and that hurt and that loneliness, he says, that, that mold, that pressure is not for me. I want to know you. I want to know your name. I want to know who you're becoming. Thomas Merton has this beautiful uh, line, because it's Holy Trinity, I have to have some hipster theologian to seem really <laughs> smart. Uh, for me to be a saint means to be myself, 
therefore, the problem of sanctity and salvation, which is the problem of being holy and good and the problem of being, uh, getting into heaven, uh, is in fact the problem of finding out who I am and finding out uh, my true self. Thomas Merton got this idea that, that if you get caught up in, in this bigger picture and if you get caught up in what the world thinks we should be, uh, you're asking for trouble. One of the quickest ways you can lose sight of God's love for you is believing that God loves someone else more. And Thomas Merton saw that. God saw it with Jacob. And, and that's something that I'm hearing from God as well. That it's about who you're becoming and, and what you are and your positives and your negatives and your gifts and your scars. That is what God wants to work with. Uh, one heartbreaking thing I've noticed, though, is a lot of churches give in to this pressure. And while communities in the world are creating these molds, churches build and create and then make their own mold. They make a good Christian, and they make uh, the right type of Christian. The one who has their Twitter bio is John 3.16, and the one who fills this many Bible plans out and makes sure that they're what would Jesus do, do uh, wristband gets into every picture. It's, it's this same pressure these same stereotypes where they say, you, wanna, you want God to love you, you want to be saved, you want to have your sanctity and salvation, uh, you have to act like this. And it's different to the other molds. So they say, yeah, this is Christian, but it's still just another mold. And then the church creates a youth ministry, and they try to fill as many seats as possible and have a PowerPoint uh, presentation of three steps to be that good Christian skip ahead a few years, they fire the youth pastor because all the youth turned 18 and left the church because they never belonged. So imagine if rather than uh, going to a youth and, and saying, fill these steps out, rather than putting more pressure, rather than going to youth and asking, what have you done? We could go to youth and ask, what is your name? What if we can act like God at the river? and let them leave the pressures behind, let them leave the molds behind, and just be themselves. Uh, there's one last part of, of the story of Jacob that I'd love to chat about, uh, because with God's question, there's a really beautifully simple answer, like almost as beautiful as the question Jacob just answers Jacob. Uh, Jacob accepts uh, what God is giving him. He realizes that, yeah, I have been chasing after you, so I have been chasing after Isaac. Uh, and he just answers, my name is Jacob. And it says that God blessed him. And, and it's nice. His story actually goes on, and it gets a little better. It's still Genesis. It's still a mess. But um, it, it, it really is a beautiful turning point for uh, Jacob. But uh, one response that God has is he doesn't just leave him and he's happy out. He actually changes Jacob's name. Uh, he, he goes to Jacob and says, uh, Great, no longer are you called Jacob. You are now called Israel. Uh, for you have encountered or wrestled with uh, God and with humans and you have overcome. Uh, but he says, you accept your identity as Jacob, but actually says, I'm going to give you another name. 
and names them Israel. If you stop reading the Bible, that name Israel is, doesn't actually mean much. Uh, happy out. It has its cool meaning, and that's about it. But, but as you continue in this story and continue reading the Bible, Israel becomes a pretty significant thing. Israel becomes uh, the chosen family, the chosen nation, the chosen people that God then uses to uh, go out in the world and, and show everyone God's love for them. Israel becomes the nation that will be blessed so that all nations will be blessed. And this nation comes from Jacob's bloodline. That they are ancestors of Jacob. The reason I think this is just as beautiful is because when, when Jacob accepts his name and accepts God's invitation to step away from these pressures, he doesn't just uh, get his identity, but he, he gets invited into something a lot bigger, a lot more than just him. He gets pulled out of his self-centered... Um, he doesn't just get pulled out of his self-centered um, issues and his problems, but he gets invited out and, and says... Uh, there is something more for you. There is more in mind. There's, there's a bigger picture going on, and he pulls him up and brings him into it. The passage I read earlier was a letter from Paul to the churches thousands of years after Jacob has had this encounter with God, but I think Paul's actually talking about something very similar. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an, uh, an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, in fact, God has placed uh, the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Paul shuns this same pressure that Jacob had. He must have heard of this, this bickering and this fighting in the church about this Christian mold. Because he goes on and says that if everyone was one body part, where would the body be? If, if everyone was an ear, if everyone was this, if everyone was that, how would it work? He shuns that same pressure. But in this context, it's a little different because just like Jacob got named Israel, invited into something bigger, he says, as you come to accept the part that you are, you get to join a church. In the same way that Israel was this chosen people and nation to go out and bless all the other nations and show all the other nations God, that's the same job that the church has. The church is a bigger group of people that we get to be a part of that is to go out and build a kingdom. That is to go out and, and tell people about this. And to go out and, and love others as you have been loved. In my own story, as I, uh, once again, was progressing through this, dealing with this pressure and this, this unhappiness with myself that I had, uh, I had a very similar invitation. Uh, as I came to accept myself, to realize that God actually has something in mind for me and wants to talk to me and wants to have a relationship with me, I stepped out of that loneliness. I stepped out of that isolation. I was stepping into myself and stepping into that, that 
personality and identity that he had for me. And very quickly, before I knew it, it wasn't just me on a journey. Suddenly he pointed at some other people and said, great, love them now. As I was stepping into the love that God had for me, he very quickly uh, showed me what he had in mind for me. There, there was this ministry that just came out of nowhere. Rob pulled me into a meeting and said, hey, you're going to be the youth pastor now. And I was like, what? Because uh, there's this, this feeling that I was on my own journey. I was caught up in who I was becoming. I was caught up already. I had enough on my plate because I have to figure out who I am. I have to figure out my me, me, me. And then God's like, whoa, whoa, you're actually going to do some work now. It's been work. <laughs> uh, but it was almost like God was saying, great, you're understanding who, but here's why. Because my personality was suddenly being used for something. My identity was actually being put into something. Because suddenly the super charismatic loud Joe was actually used to welcome some people into a youth group. And these things that I was becoming, uh, like falling in love about myself, actually had uh, something to pour out on. Because just like Jacob, and I think Paul saying the same thing, uh, when you start to accept your identity, uh, you don't just discover who you are, uh, but you discover what you were made for. It's so much more than just us and our journey. Because as we start to accept that and fall in love with what God has in mind for us, uh, we get placed into something so much bigger. We get placed into a church. We get placed into a family where we get to start loving back. If you guys were here for last uh, Sunday, Sherry made, uh, gave us an amazing sermon on prayer and worship. Uh, but Sherry and I are very similar in some ways, uh, but there's parts where I don't get about her, and her need for lists, man, <laughs> baffle me. Uh, but I did love that idea that at the end of her sermon, she actually stopped and said, practically, what? What do I do? What's next? Uh, and writing this sermon, I realized that I was building up all these ideas and getting excited excited, but actually stopping and being like, wait, how do we start on this journey? How do we start wrestling with identity? How do we start actually being put in a church and, and getting to be used? And I think C.S. Lewis, another trendy quote, um, just nailed it. Uh, your real new self will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else is thrown in. Ephesians 4, uh, chapter 4, Paul talks about uh, the same idea as the church as a body. And on verse 15, he says, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul points out that we can be a part of a body, but it's held together by Jesus. We can be a part of the church, but, but, but God, uh, it's God's church. 
in the story of Jacob, a key part of him wrestling with God is that he left his wealth and possessions behind. He even left his friends and family, and by himself, he wrestled with God. In that moment of transition, it was just him and his creator. Many will tell you where to go. Uh, the world will give you people to follow and, and chase after. But if I've learned anything, it's in that moment of just isolation with Jesus and God and chasing after how he lived and what he taught us. That is where you find your identity. That is where you find your purpose. So as we go out in this week um, and try do our jobs and, and build the kingdom, whatever you guys do in your different paths. Once again, the different parts going these different ways. Uh, I beg of you to lose yourself, find God, and join the church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we can still uh, read stories of Jacob thousands of years later and see how beautiful your relationship with him was. And we can still read the letters uh, that you wrote so long ago. Lord, as we try this ugly task of figuring ourselves out and stepping into this body, through all the clashes and disagreements and, and conflict that can sometimes fill a church and the hurt and the brokenness and, and that anxiety, despair, ruin that can sometimes come out of so many different parts coming together. Please, God, remind us over and over and over again that we are coming together because of you. And we are held together because of you and we are even, the church started with you. Help us find that river. Help us have the strength to leave our possessions and wealth and family behind. Um, and help us wrestle uh, with those questions and, and pain and hurt that we have. And as we go out, give us that comfort that only you can give, that, that love, be it from you or from the people around us as we wrestle with that. In your name, amen.